This is the first time in three weeks that I've actually been here uh, at at WMC with all of you. It's good to be back. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was away at Miller College of the Bible in Pembroke, Saskatchewan with some of our students at the AGC West Strive Retreat, which was just fantastic, by the way. It was just awesome. And uh, last week, Pastor Dan and I were both in the Niagara region in Ontario for the AGC National Conference which was also pretty great. Uh, actually, they, they were very similar, those two events. Uh, the, the major difference was there was a slightly more sleep to be had at the, the national conference. Uh, that, that tips the scales a little bit in its favor, but they were both really good. And uh, they, thank you for letting me be away there. Last week, you heard from John Scott. And the week before that, Pastor Dan was uh, in our current Holy Spirit series. And this morning, we're returning back to that series. And Uh, One result of spending the better part of two months teaching from the Bible on the Holy Spirit, on the third person of the triune God, is it helps us think a little bit more readily. We're a little bit more inclined and ready to think about the fact that the, the one God who we worship is a God who exists in three persons. The God of all creation, the one who sent his Son, Jesus Christ in the flesh, the one who reveals himself through these scriptures, reveals himself as one God in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, Trinity. And we can sing about it, uh, but it's, it's really a unique, uh, a, a unique idea. There's nothing else like this uh, anywhere else in the world. This is so different from all the made-up ideas of uh, human ideas of what a God uh, might look like. We we couldn't make this up because we can't even understand the depths of it. It's, uh, it's amazing. There's always more to learn about uh, God as he's revealed himself to us. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why uh, the Christian God can be described in 1 John 4, 8 as uh, God is love. Not love is God. That's backwards. That's going the wrong way. But, but it is, it's possible to say God is love because God exists as three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Spirit living eternally in relationship with one another, loving one another. This means that even before the initial act of creation, before time began, when there was only God, there was already love within the three persons of the Trinity, within God himself. There was already community, and it was perfect. When God created us, men and women, mankind in his image, God created us to experience the blessings of that perfect community, to, to know him and to take part in that, uh, that place of perfect openness and trust and love. We were made to know that and to worship it and to benefit from his nature and his beauty and, yes, even to share in his work here on earth. So there was a time, brief time, when all of that was well and good, when the first man and woman walked in innocence in the Garden of Eden with God and they knew what it was like uh, to, to fellowship with that perfect community that God has always been. And that's what was lost. That's one way of describing what we lost when sin entered the world. That's one of the things that I think deep down we keep searching for. Uh, We keep missing and and searching and all sorts of things because that's what we were made for and nothing else will satisfy. Just think of some of the consequences we see both in scripture and the world around us when that was lost, right? Adam and Eve exit the garden uh, not in uh, in communion with one another, but in conflict with one another. And their, their children, first generation of their, their children, commit murder. Uh, the nations are divided and confused. We've seen nations in the world at war with one another. We see nations that do horrible things inside themselves to one another. Uh, we see 
you know, idols worshipped, and uh, we see yeah, God's chosen nation, Israel, at, you know, threatened by the whole world, and even inside Israel, we see people who can't, uh, can't live the way God created them to live. We live out of harmony with the world around us and out of harmony with the people around us because at root we have fallen out of the right relationship with the God who created us. Have you ever felt the effects of that in your relationships? And I'm sure you have in your work relationships, even here in church. Have you ever felt like you just don't belong? Do you know what it feels like to stick out like a sore thumb? Do you look around and wonder... How long before someone realizes I'm not supposed to be here and they just kind of usher me quietly out the back door? Do you question what you're made for? Do you feel stifled? Like the thing you were made for is something different than, what you're available to, than what's available for you to do right now. And if you feel that way, then Christ's church is the best place for you to be. And some of you might say, well, honestly, Pastor Andrew, the church is one of the places where I feel all of those things like I don't belong, like I'm not really any use. I understand that that can be true. And if that is how you feel, then I think that God has something for you today in the text that we're going to be looking into this morning. Or you might be here, and maybe you know where you belong, and you know where you serve, but you've been doing it so long and so hard that you have forgotten what it's like to trust God, and you've been doing it in your own strength, and you're getting tired If that's how you feel, then I think God has something for you today as well. Maybe you feel like like you're doing a job and you're not cut out for it. Or maybe you you really want to serve, but you just don't know where or how or even where to start. Maybe you feel underappreciated and unnoticed in the role that you have. Or maybe, just maybe, you've been coming here for a while and you have yet to understand why anyone has anything to do with church uh, on Monday through Saturday. You know, you've just never quite understood uh, that when Jesus saved you, it was in order to be a part of his people, uh, that the church needs you, and that you need the church far more than you understand. This morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I invite you to turn there with me. Uh, We're going to consider the fact that God has, through the Holy Spirit, given spiritual gifts to each member of the Christian community. And uh, Lord willing, we're going to come away from this with a better understanding of how he does that among us. And I think more importantly, why God does it. Why God gives us these gifts. What is he after? What does he want to produce in in us as a community? If you've ever experienced frustration with finding your place in God's family, I really trust that God has something for you in his word here today. For all of us. Before before we go any further, uh, let's pause and pray. Heavenly Father, you are holy, you are perfect, and you have revealed yourself to us uh, in three persons as a holy trinity, and we want to we honor and, and understand and benefit from what you've taught us about all three, uh, about Father, Son, and Spirit, and we ask for your help as we do that this morning. We ask that you would illuminate the scriptures for us, that you would accomplish what you wish to accomplish in each one of us as we look a little more closely into what you have said uh, in this portion of your word today. We ask that you would direct our eyes towards Jesus, help us to trust him more, and, uh, and teach us in your word so that we are able to respond to you in faith today. 
We ask for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, and I'm going to read for us uh, down to verse 27, beginning in verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another, to another uh, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretations of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye could not say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. What comes to mind when you hear the word spirituality? What would make a person... In, the, in your view or in the world's view right now, a particularly spiritual person. And I hope that you might realize, as you, as you think through those questions, that we in the church should be answering questions about what is by definition spiritual along some very different lines than the way the rest of the world would answer those same questions. Because that word, spirituality, has been stretched beyond all use, really, to to include almost anything at all. Maybe rock gardens are spiritual. Maybe writing poetry. Lighting candles or religious ceremonies, like smudging 
Right? First Nations traditions are full of actions, symbolic actions, that are considered to be spiritual in nature. I've been told by some people they don't come to church on Sundays because for them, fishing on the lake is more spiritual than being at church. If we're going to use the word spiritual with some merit and in a biblical sense, we really need to kind of reclaim it by definition a little bit. Uh, And this is not perfect, but biblically speaking, when we're talking about something that's spiritual, um, especially something we're commanded to do as Christians, for example, spiritual gifts, uh, it would be helpful for us to think about, you know, in terms of capital S, spirituality. In other words, what we mean as Christians when we discuss matters of spirituality in the church are things that have to do with the Spirit of God. Look at me with the first three verses that we read earlier there. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul's writing part of this letter to the Corinthians in response to some issues that are going on within their church. And one of the issues appears to be that self-proclaimed spiritual people were practicing the really flashy and attention-grabbing spiritual gifts within the church, and they were doing it in a way that was really all about them, about elevating their own stature, bringing attention to themselves. So part of the question that Paul is writing into here seems to be this question of which one of us really is really spiritual, Paul? Like, we know, we know we're all spiritual, but come on, just tell us. Which one of us is the really spiritual ones? It, it kind of reminds you of those times when Jesus' disciples are traveling with them on the road and they're arguing amongst themselves which one is the greater amongst themselves. Meanwhile, here's Jesus telling them over and over again that he's going to demonstrate his greatness and bring, bring glory to the Father by uh, serving and suffering and dying in their places. So the question is, who is really spiritual, Paul? And look at verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. Okay, once, you used to play this game by the rest of the world's rules. You went astray in ignorance after all kinds of experiences, just like everyone else, and the things that you did and the things that you trusted, they were not able to help you. Once, you did this ignorantly. Now we're going to do it differently. Therefore, verse 3, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So here's the answer to the question, what makes, what makes a spiritual person in the church? And the answer is not what you think. It's not about the things that look spiritual on the outside, but anyone who can say Jesus is Lord, they're doing that in the power of the Holy Spirit. So just in this context, we want to be really clear um, What does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? Um, It does not mean that no one can say those three words in order, like some kind of litmus test. Um, And if they can't manage to get the third word out, then I guess they don't have the Holy Spirit. And if they do, then they they do. Um, But what what does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? It means probably at minimum three things. First, that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That this Jesus of whom we speak is in fact the second person of the Trinity. God and the Son made flesh, that the author of creation himself became a man and came to his people in order to keep his promises to them. So first, Jesus is Lord means Jesus is God. Second, Jesus is Lord means that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was promised to come and redeem his people. This means that Jesus' death on the cross was a substitutionary death. 
meaning that he died for sin that was ours, yours, mine. That the problems we talked about earlier, the problems where sin cut us off from that perfect community uh, in, in the Godhead, the relationship with God, uh, the distance that sin puts between us and our Creator and our inability to relate properly to the God that made us, that Jesus died so we might be reconciled, so that might be fixed and forgiven. And finally, Jesus as Lord is a confession that someone really believes the first two, that someone really believes Jesus is God and that he is Savior. It's a statement of allegiance that declares Jesus and no other is the rightful king in my life, and it's an expression of hope that Jesus' coming kingdom is one day going to pass judgment on the sins of the world and restore everything that was damaged by the power of sin. Romans 10, 9 If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 3 in our text before us today, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. David Pryor, a commentator on this passage, points out that what we're speaking of here is a public confession of a personal faith in a living Savior in front of a hostile world. No one could maintain such a creed in any century except by the Holy Spirit. It's a costly thing to proclaim with your lips and also with your life that Jesus is Lord. And Paul is saying here that no one does this without the help of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who is just saying they're a Christian and living like a Christian is already performing an intensely spiritual activity. The Holy Spirit is involved. There are not two kinds of Christians, ones that are really spiritual and we hold them up on a pedestal and other ones who aren't very spiritual at all. If you can say before the world and walk before the world, Jesus is Lord, you are an intensely spiritual Christian. Uh, that, that's required of you, just to, just to be a Christian. Uh, so our, our, our framework and our, our, our kind of outline for this morning is pretty informal. It actually just takes uh, the words of verse 7. If you look down in your passage there, we're going to walk through uh, four points as we kind of walk, uh, fly over this chapter and try to get this understanding of why God gives us these gifts in the church. Um, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Those are the, that, that's the ground we're going to cover this morning. And we've already been, uh, been largely covering that first point, which is the, the to each part, that, that each Christian has the Holy Spirit um, and, it, and is an intensely spiritual person. There, there is no, no one who comes as part of Christ's church who, who isn't a spiritual person. Um, uh, and uh, if you just look a little further down to verse 11, we read, All those empowered by one and the same Spirit, who importions to each one individually as he wills. And then verse 13, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. The Spirit is in all of us, and all of us are baptized into the Spirit. So each one who confesses that Christ is Lord does so as a profoundly spiritual and Holy Spirit-filled activity. And moving on to our next point, each one is also given what we would call a spiritual gift. Look at the section beginning in in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given 
the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given. Spiritual gifts are gifts. That kind of comes right along with the wording, with the territory, but we need to remember this. Uh, When Paul introduced this section up in verse 1, he actually, there's a different term translated spiritual gifts there. It's a more technical term with the emphasis on the spiritual part. As if he's saying, now we're going to talk about spiritual things, or spiritual people, or spiritual gifts. But starting in verse 4, and then over and over and over again, he uses his favorite word for spiritual gifts, which is a word that really means gift. It's based in the word that means grace. These are grace gifts. These are gifts that you have been given, that you have received. And he really puts the emphasis on that. Uh, Don Carson observes, Paul wants to remind his readers that whatever they might consider to be truly spiritual in themselves is best thought of as a gracious gift from God. And this is important to grasp because it means that the people who have maybe more noticeable gifts and jobs in the church don't receive those positions as a reward for being more spiritual. The upfront roles, like preaching, like leading worship, or maybe being called to the field uh, as a missionary, they don't indicate a separate, more spiritual kind of Christian, just a different gift that God has called them to. If you read verses 4, 5, and 6, you notice there's this kind of tension that hammers home both the variety of gifts and and the unity that we see in the one who gives the gifts. Variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So we see variety, and we see all kinds of variety in the gifts that are given. In other words, it's both intentional by design, and it's beneficial to the church that we have all shapes and sizes and different giftings among us. This is box of crayons time, right? This is what we're getting into here. But underneath all of that variety is not chaos, but order because of the one who gives the gifts. The unity in the church does not and should not come from forcing all of its members to conform to a mold. That would be uniformity, and it's boring, and it's not what God is about, Um, The unity in the church comes from the one who gives the gifts. God gives different gifts to everyone, and he does it with a plan in mind that's going to draw everyone together. One spirit, one Lord, one God. Down to verse 18, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. It's been said that the triune God loves diversity, so much so that when he sends a snowstorm, he makes each flake unique. By contrast... When we are in charge, we have a tendency to manufacture ice cubes because they're all uniform and they can all fit together and they're so convenient. When we either intentionally or accidentally create a space in our church where everyone feels pressured to either imitate someone else's idea of ministry or else just say, hey, I guess this isn't for me. When we unintentionally start forcing everyone into ice cube trays, the body of Christ actually suffers loss, profound loss. If you're here and you feel like you don't belong because you don't look like the other parts of the body, can I just encourage you to maybe do a little underlining in your Bible today? It may be that the paragraph from verses 14 to 18 in this body analogy that Paul gives is is really for you. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. If you feel you're different, then not only are you welcome as a part of the body, but you are needed. You are needed. There's an old legend about this, uh, this fellowship of heroes who are brought together, I don't know, what heroes always do to save the kingdom, something like that. There's probably 12 of them because that's a good number too. Uh, but the point is, at the outset of this epic quest, each one of the heroes is lined up and they receive a tool that is given to them that will be necessary on this quest. The big burly guy gets a sword. The, uh, the clever one gets a little hourglass. The crafty one gets a rope. And so on and so forth. Everyone gets something that has a pretty obvious questy use to it. Until the last guy gets handed a small, nondescript rock. And having compared his rock with all of the gifts that the other members of the team have received, this last guy thinks, I'm going to be more useful if I'm not even lugging this around. And when he thinks no one's looking, he just chucks it over his shoulder. Well, after a long, intense quest full of sword-wielding and rope-using, etc., etc., the fellowship arrives at their destination, and blocking their path is a gate that cannot be forced open or climbed over. And in the center of the gate, standing in for a keyhole, is a small hole exactly the size of that rock. And with everyone's gaze turned upon him, that last guy confesses in despair that he thought the rock was useless, and so he jettisoned it long ago. Another member of the group reaches into her bag and produces the stone and says, I saw you throw this away. I knew it was wrong because it was the gift you were given. Here it is back again. Now we're counting on you. Fulfill your role in our quest. Or something like that. And if you think the story I just told seeks to hammer home this idea of interdependence uh, in an overly cheesy and kind of a little bit too on-the-nose kind of way, that I would encourage you to read over chapter 12 once more and realize that this kind of mutual trust and interdependence and reliance on one another is exactly what God has seen fit to intentionally create within the church. He gives these gifts in the way he does on purpose to force us to rely on one another. That's why no one Christian has all the gifts. This is why the Spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills, not according to our requests, but according to his plan. Last weekend at the AGC National Conference, they were interviewing Bill Allen, who was officially voted in as our president of the uh, Associated Gospel Churches of Canada. And one of the questions they asked him was this, what about your ministry in churches and on the mission field has been the most personally rewarding and exciting for you in your lifetime? And this was his answer. I thought, oh, I'm preaching on this next week. I grabbed a pen and a paper as fast as I could. This was Bill Allen's answer. To see Christians growing and serving out of their own gifting. Out of their own gifting. Not trying to conform to others, but discovering God's unique gifting and design for them. Brothers and sisters, when that happens, 
than the individual member of the body who finds his or her role uh, gets filled with joy and God gets glorified and the whole church and even the world that watches the church benefits from it. So let me ask you this. What is your rock? What's your rock? What do you have that no one else has that God has put in you to be used? What gifting and calling has God placed on your life or on your heart? Maybe you've survived something that was difficult, and that puts you in a place to minister to others who are going through something hard. Maybe you have the ability to see what needs to be done and other people don't. To take a step of faith that the people around you aren't quite ready for. Have you ever thought that maybe it's not wrong that you're the one who sees it and no one else does? Maybe it's that way on purpose because you take the step and then the rest of us see you the first one out of the boat and we, we gain the faith to follow you. Maybe you have time available to you, time that others don't have, that you can take on some tasks around the church building and free other people up to do what they've been called to do. Maybe you'd be willing to connect with a younger Christian who needs to be discipled, to just walk with someone who's younger than you and grow together. I don't know. I could keep going on. The possibilities are limitly endless. God is endlessly creative. But let me just plead with you. Do not count yourself out because you don't have the same gifts others do. God has not. So God has intentionally distributed the gifts of the Spirit among the body to foster this mutual interdependence. But there's something else at work, something that's even more basic than that. We aren't called to just depend on one another, but we are also to depend specifically on God's power from himself. For he is the one who supplies both the gifts and the power. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, workings of miracles, prophecy, ability to distinguish spirits, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Manifestation That's a solid $10 word, and it's a great word. And to get the idea of it, just think of the word hidden. And then every synonym you can think of for the word hidden, like unseen, unclear, unknown, in the background, out of the spotlight. When something's made manifest, it's the exact opposite of all those things. It means to be made clear, to be made obvious, to be made known, and that is what spiritual gifts do. They make obvious to everyone what God is doing in each member of the church and in the church as a whole. When the church is properly using the gifts that God has given it, there'll be a sense of, wow, did you see what God just did over there? God did that. Those results cannot be explained as coming from just mere human cooperation or planning. When Paul was writing this letter to the Corinthians, part of his task was to tell those um, in this chapter, to essentially tell those who are making too big a deal out of some of the flashier gifts of the Spirit to kind of turn it down a notch. Maybe because some of those people were only pretending to have those gifts to get attention. 
Maybe because uh, all that emphasis was overshadowing some of the other gifts that needed to get attention in the church. And I think that the, the truths of 1 Corinthians 12 has maybe a different application for us in our context. Yes, there are certain upfront gifts that maybe receive too much attention, and we need to learn from that. But in addition, I think when we read this today, we need to be challenged to turn things up a little bit, to eagerly desire and long to see the Holy Spirit at work in our midst, to not settle for just doing the best that we can do through human means, but to look to trust God to work powerfully in ways that can only be attributed to him. And part of the challenge for us, which makes me scared, but part of the challenge for us might be sometimes we must stop giving God credit for things that we do in our own strength apart from him. If we get together and we accomplish something in his name, we plan to do something, we budget on it, we plan on it, we think, okay, here's what we've got and here's what we can do with what we've got in our own strength, And if we do that without taking any step of faith, without trusting him, just in our own power, and then at the end we clap and we praise him and we give him the glory for all the things that we just did, God receives very little praise and glory from that. God's purposes in distributing his gifts and his spirit in the body of Christ is to bring glory and honor to his name and to the name of Jesus so that people might say, wow, look what God did in those people. The way we're to do that is to operate by faith out of his strength and not on our own. Listen to these words. This is again from uh, from David Pryor. He says, God intends to make himself felt and known through his gifts as well as by his fruit. Often the reason for the church's lack of credibility as the community of the Holy Spirit lies just here. Many Christians do not or cannot manifest their distinctive gifts in the life of their local church. The rich variety of the Christian community is thus hidden, and its corporate life appears to the outsider as dull and conformist instead of diverse and colorful. And then again, there is sheer power and inherent energy in each Christian. The operation of God's Holy Spirit is not a theory, but a reality. The Spirit produces results, varied results which can be noticed, changed lives, transformed relationships, increasing congregations, effective testimony, released talents. I'd like to ask you to do something for just a moment. Please turn your heads around and take a good look at all of the people sitting around you today. I'm serious. I don't really want any faces pointed towards me. You have all looked at me for enough this morning. If you're looking at a fellow believer at someone who can say, in the power of the Spirit, Jesus is Lord, then take a moment to reflect on this. God has placed his Spirit in that temple of clay. God is in him. God is in her. And now, are you ready to watch expectantly to see the Holy Spirit work in your life through that person? Are you ready for God to work through you in his life? Or her life? In other words, do we really believe this? Our motivation for finding ways to include every part of God that he has placed in the body is not just to lighten the loads of the ones who are already serving, although that often needs to be addressed. 
we have some hands who are doing the work of entire arms because parts are missing. The motivation for finding ways to include every part of the body is not just to make everyone feel included and feel a part of the community and feel important, although that is a deeply vital and important part of what the gospel does in us as Jesus saves us and places us in a people. But even more than that, it is so that the glory of God and the work that he himself intends to do through us in the Spirit might be revealed in us. We don't want man-made ice cube molds. We want to see genuine, powerful, unique, Holy Spirit-created and empowered people. But, as we've already mentioned, there is much more involved in this than simply discovering your own gifts and becoming some kind of freelance agent of spiritual blessing in our midst. There is also a distinct order and design and interdependence that God is at work creating in his church. And that brings us to our fourth and final point, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. At this point, it will be obvious to some of you that we aren't going to have time to get into specific descriptions of what all the various gifts mean, listed in verses 8 to 10. Uh, If you're particularly disappointed by that, then I invite you to come see me in my office sometime next week. And there's lots of materials, and we'll work through what those things mean. Uh, It's interesting, and it's valuable to see uh, what those those gifts are and what they look like. We can do that. Uh, But I think it's far more important for us this morning to come away from this chapter with an appreciation of why God gives the gifts to the church. And once we understand that, we're in a far better position to explore what gift he's given each one of us um, and how he wants us to use those gifts. By the way, the the list here is not the only list found in the New Testament of spiritual gifts. There's several. In fact, there's another one in the same chapter, down in verse 28. Uh, There's one in Romans 12. There's a list in Ephesians 4. And every list is slightly different, which probably serves to remind us that there is no definitive list. Uh, It's useful to know what the ones mentioned here are. It's far more essential to understand how and why God gives the gifts in the first place. And that's what we're working on this morning. By the way, there is a mandatory reading assignment uh, following this sermon. You should never read 1 Corinthians 12 without immediately going on to read chapter 13. Uh, so please do that this week. Read through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, maybe reread 12, and then go on and read 13, and you'll quickly see why. We're on the honor system. I'm not going to be checking up on you, but that, that is your assignment this week. Um, our final point, that God gives spiritual gifts for the common good, for the benefit of the body as a whole, has already been covered in various ways that we work, work through the other parts. We've already looked forward to that body analogy and talked about it a little bit already. So let me just summarize and repeat kind of a few of the key ideas that come through from verses 28 to, or 14 to 26. First of all, each part of the body belongs. Each part of the body belongs there. And it was put there according to God's will. It's not an accident. It's by design. And you do not merely belong, but each part of the body, intentionally, by design, needs the rest of the body. God has designed us this way, on purpose, so we can't be self-sufficient. And in addition to that, the whole body, by design, needs each one of its parts and cannot afford to be without any of them or to have some of them not doing what he's created them to do. The whole body suffers when when that is the case. 
And uh, I just want to move on and give uh, maybe some, some specific helpful situations that, that some of you may find yourselves in right now, just as a way to respond to this, uh, thinking forward. Um, you know, there, there are situations where there are some people in our church who might not be doing much because they don't know what to do or, or where to do or, or God hasn't convicted them to, to get involved and, in, in the life of the church or the, he hasn't shown them yet um, how important that is. And that means that when things get left undone, other people step in and take on loads that they were never meant to carry. And we have some overburdened people sometimes who are doing the job that they were created to do plus a whole bunch of others uh, because someone needs to do it. And there's a fear that, that things are going to fall through the cracks if they don't step in. And this requires faith on, on multiple levels to, to address and to fix. Um, it requires faith on the part of the person who has taken on those extra jobs. It, it requires faith to let go of them and say, maybe I'm not made to do this. Uh, maybe I have to trust God that things will be okay if it doesn't get done. Or maybe I need to trust that you will provide the one who will do it. That can be a hard thing. Uh, it also requires faith on the person who is currently not doing anything and maybe needs to, to reevaluate uh, how they think about the body and to step into those roles. Um, there will be some of you here who have a God-given passion and ability in an area, but for whatever reason, uh, you know you have it and you're not using your gift in that area in the church. Uh, maybe it's selfishness. You just want some time to yourself. Maybe you've been hurt in that role in the past and you were afraid of taking a risk again. Maybe there's a hurt relationship in that ministry that's preventing you from exercising your gift. And there's someone that you need to tell that they've offended you and forgive them. Or maybe you need to ask forgiveness. Maybe you have a passion for something that our church does not currently have an area for you to minister in. If that's the case, then find one of the elders or ministry leaders and talk to them about it. We need to improve our ability to communicate across the body. Uh, we need to hear from more members in the body. Uh, one you know, one part can't see everything that all the other parts see. So it's important to talk in that way. There might be some of you here who have been serving so long in one area that you've drifted away from relying on God's strength and you've started relying on your own strength in that area. And as a result, you are getting tired. You're feeling less joy in that work. And maybe for you, God is reminding you today through his word that when you use your gift you ought to be relying on his power, not yours. And that joy will kind of will be restored in that area of ministry with the, that new perspective that God gives. There might be some of you here who have no idea what your gifts are. No idea at all. And a good way to start is to just start serving anywhere. I mean, literally do anything. Find, find out an opportunity and just talk to people. Find out what you can do. And keep in mind that other members of the body will help you to discern what your role is. You'll be humble and value their input. Don't insist that you are a thumb if you have three knuckles. I hope some of you are looking at your hands right now. That's how I know you're listening. <laughs> uh, but I, my part in this conversation is over, and I'm going to end very abruptly now. I, I'm just going to like roll off the end of the tracks because I am one part of the body. And my job this morning, I believe, has been to hold this text up before us. 
and, and to, to shine a light on these things. And I am not the whole body. I am one part. And that's my part in the conversation. Uh, the work of the Spirit of God in this part of the Word of God as a church is not complete in us until we start having conversations amongst the body in response. So if you feel that there's something in here that God has had for you today, then make sure you talk to the other members of the body. Uh, you're not going to solve it uh, on your own separate from the body. We, we need to have these conversations. Uh, and so right now I'm just going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in you there is one God who has provided for us everything that we need. We thank you for the reminder this morning that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ alone, that any who calls on him and who turns to him who can honestly say in the power of the Spirit, Jesus is Lord. Father, when we come to you and we, we reach the end of ourselves and we need your cleansing, your forgiveness from sin, and your salvation in our lives, we thank you for what you've already accomplished in Jesus. We thank you for the good news of what you have done, that you have done what we can't do. We can't make things right with you because of our sin, but you have done it. And we thank you for that. And we ask that you would make us grateful for that. Lord, we thank you for the, the way that you have designed the body of Christ to rely on you and to rely on one another. And we ask that as we seek to do that more and more in the days to come, our, our heart's desire would be to see you working in our midst, to see more of you, to experience more joy in your power as you work through us. And we ask that you would humbly lead us according to your word in our, in our relationships with one another, that, that Holy Spirit, you would, you would keep the grace we have all received in Christ at the very center of the way we relate to one another and to the world around us. We ask you for your help in this, and we look forward to what you will do in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with the, just one... <laughs> I'm going to leave you with these words from 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God.